of the ladies room. Boy, do we have a big one for you guys today. We have big so one. much stuff. Big, big episode. <laughs> we have so much stuff to get to. Um, a fantastic interview with Megan Rapino coming up shortly. And we don't want to hold you guys. Uh, we don't want to spend too much time before we get to that. But we did have some big breaking news on the college athletics front, uh, just as the day was sort of wrapping up today. The NCAA, basically not given a choice <laughs> anymore at this point, has decided now that they're going to allow colleges, college athletes to cash in on their name, image, and likeness. What do you think, Jane? You exist among college students. Take it away. Yes, I do. I think it's literally the least the NCAA could do. And something that doesn't actually take money out of its own pockets in order to accomplish. The money that athletes would be able to get for name, image, and likeness are coming from other companies. They're coming from outside sources. So the the financial model, which is, you know, take from the poor, give to the rich, that the NCAA tends to follow, and I'm paraphrasing, um, will not be disrupted as a result of this. And the other thing I thought was interesting, and uh, economist Andy Schwartz pointed this out on Twitter, that the press release that the NCAA put out saying that athletes would be able to, to take advantage of the quote opportunity to use their name image like this did not once use the word rights. Mm. So very much in keeping. And so the, the other thing is you last week you had this large and this Supreme court came, you know, had this case come out and, and, you know, beer drinking Brett Kavanaugh who never met a tailgate. He didn't like also, you know, uh-huh. came out and, and in a blistering, um, concurrence with Putting us the, all in the extremely awkward position of agreeing with Brett Kavanaugh on something. Exactly right. No one wants to do that. No one wants to be in that position. And yet there you were. Um, so I, I kind of like liken this to a scene in a movie where, you know, you can see a man running for his life and then the, and then the shot widens and it's like an entire mob coming after them. And I kind of feel like the NCAA is just like running down the street as fast as it can looking for the exit. A huge, like, mo- like zombie horde stumbling along behind him. <laughs> exactly right. Well, like, yeah, not a lot of options. Last week, we had the Supreme Court opinion come down, um, which basically said that while the NCAA can limit uh, an athlete's right to make money from outside the school, they cannot limit educational benefits. Um, so what you're looking at then is, uh, you know, a different rules in different states, depending on you know, what school and, and, and within states from school to school. So a school like Alabama that can offer you not only a full, you know, full ride, but also a paid internship over the summer. They can also offer you if you go to grad school scholarship for that with other schools that don't have that. And then that on top of that, you have, you know, name image likeness in laws being passed in some states and not in others. And it's just, it's completely unworkable. So you're right. They had no choice and it was, you know, yeah, the very, very least they could do and only one put up against a wall with a gun to their heads. Well, exactly. And, and this is the classic case of an organization that wants to keep cashing those checks, but has abdicated the responsibility for actually oversight of the institution. And, and I, you know, I, as you know, grew up, significant part of my growing up experience was in Nebraska, which passed that NIL law. And, and the reason it did that is because you know who has a difficult time, uh, you know, get attracting top recruits. I mean, there are not a lot of people who are going to be like, yes, I want to spend my life in Nebraska. I love Nebraska. I think it's a great place and I can totally see why people go there, but I think you will have trouble attracting people. So to give Nebraska the advantage of being able to say, well, come here. Yes, you get the scholarship, but not only that, you can make your, your Instagram followers, you can monetize that to sell something, you know, on your social media platform. It gave those states an advantage in the recruiting process. And and I think, honestly, you know, the NCAA is responding to that from other member organizations that are angry that you have in Nebraska that would have an advantage in the recruiting game. Mm -hmm. Not so much that they're looking at the overall fairness of a situation and saying people really should be able to pretend like their name belongs to them. That's not at all what their concern is. It's merely this idea that they want 
their their own member organizations to have an even playing ground. This, I mean, I really just think that the NCAA has been exposed for what it is, and it's just not pretty. And it is, I, it's an end game right now, and um, we're all just kind of waiting to see. Uh, you know, they want Congress, they want the Supreme Court, they want other outside federal entities to come in and tell them how to to right their ship without doing the work on their own. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Uh, and, you know, I, I saw a great tweet by Joel Anderson, who I adore today, saying like he really wants to see if Dabo's going to make good on his word to turn pro if students are allowed to make <laughs> money. So we're all sitting here exactly. with our fingers crossed, hoping Dabo's out of hey. our lives forever. Sad to see him go, but he did. He made it, you know, he made a promise. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. We don't want to, we, that we definitely need to talk about that because it was huge news, but we don't want to keep you guys uh, waiting for the fantastic Megan Rapino any longer. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're in the ladies room. Joining us now in the ladies room is someone who was right at the top of our list. When we started talking about this podcast, who do we want to have on this podcast? Boom, right at the top. She is uh, probably the most famous member of the U.S. National Women's Soccer Team. She is an activist, an author, a captain for the rain. We're so thrilled to have Megan Rapino joining us in the ladies room. Megan, woo! <laughs> What's going on, you guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I was trying to do like the Kermit the Frog thing, you know, but it just, the chair, it didn't work. Nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> I, so, think, I think you just have to say, let's fucking go. Yeah, because I watched it last night, Megan, and it is, it's fantastic. So if you haven't seen Let's Fucking Go, you have to look for LFG on HBO Max. Um, I was so fired up after watching it. I got into a fight with my husband just like in solidarity. (laughs) I don't know what you did, but you fucking did something. Yeah, just just sit there and be quiet. Um, So, you know, I think that I was just telling Jane, like, you know, we talk about a lot of hard topics on this show. And one of the ones that we always come back to is the way that women working in sports media are undervalued and undercompensated. And I really appreciated showing how much work you guys put into this, the late night phone calls and the early morning phone calls and the depositions and and all the conversations with lawyers. And the thing that really struck me from this the point that I think we should be hammering at people over and over and over is how wildly successful you guys have to be in order to earn a little bit more money than what the men are making. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yes, exactly. Um, I, I had a twitch in my eye for like three months after that deposition. I swear. <laughs> I was like, this is just, like, I need emotional damages just for this twitch in my eye that I <laughs> no kidding. Uh, held on to. Yeah, no, it, it is just, incredible really i mean if you think about any other you know athlete or team that has been as successful as we have been over the course that we've you know the course of time that we've been successful whether that's um i don't know the bulls or the warriors or you know serena williams um still underpaid but but still obviously um you know tennis is uh, a lot further along the way on equal pay than we are like you just, it's just incredible how little we're paid and how much we have to do to be paid, even as, as, as less that we are. And and that's not even counting all of the work off the field. Cause I, I mean, I make like a fraction of my money on the field and the bulk of my money off the field. So that means like, I'm not just training and working and like, you know, per- perfecting my craft every day that I can and trying to get better. I also have to, you know, do everything else. And we don't really have, I mean, I guess you always have a, a choice. I can always say no, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to be that financially irresponsible. Um, but you, it's like, you don't really have the choice. It's kind of like, you, you kind of have to do it. You sort of be stupid not to. So yeah, you only have 24 hours in a day and 365 days a year. So jam it all in there. Otherwise, um, yeah, here we are. So yeah. And you know, uh, Jane and I talk every week on this podcast about how tired we are. At least I say it every week. I'm always like, I am so tired. And I I heard you say so many times in the documentary, we're doing this for the next generation. We're doing this for the next generation. And I literally at one point, like threw my phone down and was like, 
how many generations of women have said we're doing this for the next generation? Like, when do we ever get ours? And it's, I'm so appreciative of what you guys do, but I mean, that's gotta be a frustration that you guys feel as well. Yeah. I think honestly, part of what we mean when we say that, because I want to, you know, make no mistake about it. I'm also doing this for myself. I, I want to be as successful as possible. I want all my teammates to be as successful as possible. I, I want us all to make as much money as possible so that when we are done, we do have the freedom to decide what we want to do and to put our talents, you know, wherever we want to put our passion, wherever we want. So I, I, I want to make that clear, but I think part of honestly, what we mean when we say that is like, we know it's not coming to us. We know that all of the work that we're doing now because it takes so long and because it's so arduous. I mean, I'm, you know, on the eve of turning 36 and, uh, you know, I don't know how many years I have left. Like I might get one or two years out of this new contract or three or four years out of this new contract. But like part of it is just almost like a realistic, yeah, this isn't really for me. So I hope to God that the next generation doesn't have to do the same stuff that we do and that hopefully they will be in a much better position. And if that's, you know, the sort of legacy that we can have or the gift that we can give or the work that we have to do now, like I'll be jealous of them and probably bitter, but <laughs> I'll be happy for them in like a small part of my heart and I'll make them pay for everything every time I see them. Right. Well, I think, you know, we all saw the tweets that the well actually tweet thread that U.S. soccer put out. after Oh, dear. Game. And and it's just and, you know, they make the argument again. Well, the women negotiated this contract and they built the contract on the back of a series of contracts that were negotiated by a lawyer who was the phrase. No one cares about women's sports personified and with a law degree. I mean, that is what you're negotiating on the basis of. So to frame it as though this were a choice and this was all negotiated from a point of strength is, I think, a complete misreading of how these contracts have come about in women's sports generally. Well, the thing is, they're, they're telling part of the truth, but not the whole truth in that if they would have offered the exact same not only structure, but pot of money available to the men in the pay-to-play structure, we likely would have taken it. We need the guaranteed money because we only make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So yeah, we're not really willing to risk the, you know, the, the sort of, maybe we would have gotten a little bit more out of a bonus structure or whatever. But the whole point is that we don't have the ability to, by 23, four or five years old, to have the earning power under us that say, you know, not even Christian Pulisic's Chelsea contract, but just his national team contract. Like, right. we don't have that ability to make that kind of money, to give us the security, to be able to take a risk to make more money. Exactly. But they never even offered that. They offered a pay-to-play structure that was similar to the men with every single line item lower. So I don't want to hear this bullshit about, oh, we offered the same contract and you guys just chose this shitty one. Like, <laughs> like what are we, stupid right. or something? So right. they, they kind of failed to, to really say that, oh, yeah, we offered them the same structure. And by the way, we offered them less on everything. Yeah. And I love the I love the the strategy of, you know, we can't pay the women what we pay the men because it would bankrupt U.S. soccer. Yeah. Like you're too successful for us to pay you that. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, we ran out of jerseys uh, during the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. We can't afford to to rectify our gender discrimination because it would bankrupt (laughs) the Federation. So, like, we didn't really budget for all the discrimination that we did against you guys. So, like, sorry. Okay. I think we just solved it here, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we did. It's over. Uh, so I know Megan, you're getting ready to go to Japan for the Olympics. Um, obviously we're all sort of watching who is going to make the team and, and very excited to see who's on and, you know, who the alternates are. Do you guys have concerns about, you know, I mean, we're, we've got the Delta variant rearing its ugly head. You guys are headed to Japan, a country where there's not a ton of vaccinated people. I mean, I think like less than 10% of their population is vaccinated. What are you guys doing to make sure that, that you guys can stay safe while you're there? Oh, man. I mean, we're going to be in Japan, but we could be anywhere. Like, we're not going to be around anyone. We're not going to be able to go anywhere. We're not going to be able to see anyone. Um, you Sounds know, like we fun. take, <laughs> yeah, we, t- we take extreme precautions within our bubble. And then also we're in a bubble. So 
you know, we mask here and we have, you know, assigned seating at meals so we can contact trace and we're testing and all of that. So, I mean, I think, of course, the variant is, you know, extremely worrying. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously seeing even, you know, the Chris Paul situation. Um, it seemed from everything that that I heard um, he was vaccinated and, you know, he's he still was put into the protocol. So I think at this point, it's just about being really smart, um, you know, keeping yourself away. I mean, almost going, you know, back into like a, a March, April 2020 style quarantine and just realizing that you have to make this sacrifice in order to keep yourself safe. Um, heading into the Olympics. We know that the Japanese government um, is in in the Japanese people, I think, and understandably so are extremely wary and not thrilled to be, you know, hosting a gathering of the global world in their country. And we have to be extremely respectful of that as well. I think that's part of it. And then just keeping everybody safe. I mean, I think we're, you know, worried about it. Our staff is just incredible. They put us in the best position to to keep safe and to make sure that everyone's good but honestly i think we're going to be really really quite bubbled while we're there um as much as possible and and the ioc japanese government usopc and our federation are doing a great job keeping everyone safe it's going to be different i think you know when you have fans who are not allowed to you know make make loud noises yeah um which is going to be just it's just going to be really they're not going to be able to chant equal pay on the field you know when you guys score um, it's just going to be really different. And I think I, I just, I'm kind of trying to get my head around it, especially like moms not being able to bring the babies that they're nursing. Um, and then there, I think there's some pretty onerous, um, rules about protests, uh, and, and what you're, it seems like everything is just going to kind of be straight jacketed this year. Yeah. Um, certainly all the health and safety protocols are going to be extremely, um, straight jacketed. I mean, obviously Alex Morgan on our team, uh, little baby Charlie's not going to come, which is, you know, not only just for all the obvious reasons, um, you know, really, really tough for Alex, but for us yeah. as well, you know, we want obviously our teammate to be in the best position and, and the healthiest and happiest that she can be, but also Charlie's fun and she's nice to have around and, you know, it, it provides a little bit of entertainment. So, you know, on those, you can kind of understand, albeit, I think they're a little, um, over the top, like if it's over the top and everyone's safe, then that's, that's fine by me. I'm not really, uh, you know, stressed about that or not really, uh, feeling any kind of way about that. I mean, I think ultimately we want to keep everyone safe, like anyone getting COVID or being put in a bad position because of the Olympics, I don't think is a good trade-off. So we need to keep everyone safe in terms of the protesting stuff. Um, the, I, the, I feel like the IOC backed themselves into quite a corner, you know, considering, the climate of the world right now, um, mm-hmm. of the social movements that are, you know, gaining, um, you know, so much momentum, obviously 2020, not just in the U S but all over the world was an incredible year. And so from everything that we've heard, you know, our, our, um, governing body, the U S OPC, um, has made huge strides in allowing athletes and protecting athletes and encouraging athletes to use their voice. There'll be no additional sanctions from any of uh, the USOPC for both Paralympic Games and the Olympic Games. So that's amazing. We feel super supported by by our governing body here. The IOC has basically said, you can't do anything. And they've given no other, like, if, if this, then this. They've given no sanctions. They've given no punishment. They really haven't, at least up until this point, given any signal as to what would actually happen so I don't know if they thought that like telling people not to protest was going to be the thing that was going to stop people from protesting. <laughs> Never happened before, but they're they're also I think going to have to really understand that you know the thing about rules. Sue Sue always says this. My fiance she always says the thing about rules. If you make a rule, you have to enforce it. So right. it's like sometimes it's just better not to make the rule and then <laughs> right. you know just kind of deal with what's what's happening and maybe it doesn't become a problem because now you got people from all different sports, uh, from all different uh, uh, countries around the world. And now you've just, you know, taken away what a lot of us consider uh, to be a civil liberty and to be just a matter of equality that so far outweighs the Olympics or the Olympic Committee or whatever it is that they're saying. So, yeah, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how this actually all plays out and what they do if there's like a mass wave of protests or something. 
I love that there's yeah. that there's a rule against high fiving and talking loudly uh, for fans. Yeah. Which, as an American, I feel extremely targeted by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you guys talking about us specifically? <laughs> high five, dude. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, do you give a hell of a high five? I watched the Ted Lasso, um, Ted Lasso introducing the U.S. Women's National Team this year. I thought very good and 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 a good read of you. I think as a as a high fiver. I mean, I feel like I can give a good high five. I feel like I can high five. I feel like I can dap someone up. I feel like I can give a good handshake. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm good in in, in that realm. I, How I often forward. do you miss and like misjudge the high five? And, you know, hit like the side of someone's hand. I, I think that's the real. Not option. often. Yeah. Not often. I pride myself on my accuracy. So I <laughs> hopefully I can I can nail that. It's, it's a, you know, it's a big stage. It's a big stage to miss. You know, I know. I know. Now y'all making me nervous. I know. <laughs> there's no, nothing I worse than it. being the person responsible for messing up the high five. It's like you can't. No. There's mm. no way to come back from that. Mm-mm. No, absolutely. But I, I brought up Ted Lasso. First of all, I love the series. And um. But second of all, like he is the kind of coach that everyone would like to have, right? One for whom the wins and losses is secret is secondary, and it's all about the friends you make along the way. And um, and I think that kind of fits with the idea of fairness and a level playing field, and something that is kind of gone from sports today. Um, but I think it's present in a lot of women's sports in a way that it hasn't been in men's sports in a while. Um, and I just I wanted to ask if there's a kind of a new paradigm emerging for for women who play women's sports because so many teams now or so many players have said that they're they're going to be investing in women's teams and i think that's something that's that's different it's kind of you know not waiting around for a company or a, an owner or something like that to say i'm going to make the investment and getting them to buy in it's actually taking taking the initiative and doing it yourself. And I wonder, is that the way forward for women's sports when it comes to kind of capturing what is a lot of momentum right now? I think it's part of the way forward. Yes. Um, I I absolutely think so. I think it's really important for us as, you know, women or, or, uh, people who play women's sports to use our voices to continue to, you know, support our own sports, but also, um, you know, support other women's sports and other leagues. And it's kind of that thing. Like if I don't think it's cool, why would any, why would I ask someone else to think it's cool? Also, like I have to right. be invested just as much as I'm asking other people. But the reality of the situation from a capital perspective is that we know the bulk of the money in the world sits in the hands of men. So how do you sort of marry those two? Now, someone like Alexis Ahanian uh, Serena Williams' husband, mm-hmm. I think, has has struck a pretty good balance. He's like, I have all this money. I'm influential. How do I show my support? How do maybe I be the uh, a lead capital investor? And you know what? Let let the women be the face of it. Something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, I, I think there's obviously a lot of talk around NBA teams and WNBA teams and, you know, certain markets like the Warriors obviously have a brand new stadium and have, you know, a a billion dollars from, uh, you know, all the success that they have. Is that something where, okay, you know what, we're going to lend our platform, lend our capital to building a franchise in the WNBA in Oakland or somewhere like Portland or, or something like that. So I think it's probably a, a, a sort of hybrid model, but I do think that the people out front, the people speaking, the people who are going to be the kind of figureheads and the mouthpieces of these organizations, uh, you know, should be women. It should be people of color. It should be marginalized people. It should be LGBTQ people. Like this is the people that have been, you know, historically discriminated against forever and ever. So, you know, we don't necessarily have all the money that we need all the time, but we know who has it. And so we need to get them on board as well so we can do this together. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because I just I just did a piece this morning about the deal the Phoenix Mercury got with Bally's, which is huge for for investing in women's sports. But even so, women's sports in women in sports get like one percent of the of the dollars yeah. that are invested in sports yeah. and in women's sports. But you you though you know are part of the women breaking out of that mold. It seems. I mean, I feel like you know I see you Subway, and we just got the big news about Victoria's Secret. What was that like for you? Because I I was excited because I felt like. 
you know, when I was young and in shape, I was, you know, I was working out all the time. I was like, great, I'll wear Victoria's Secrets. But then when I got older and I had two kids, it didn't look like that anymore. I was like, this stuff is not for me. <laughs> so, you know, it was, I guess, an acknowledgement that this was all sort of made for the male gaze without me really like looking at it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, with Victoria's Secret, you know, specifically, I think it was absolutely designed, you know, by specific people for specific people. And women were just, uh, you know, the entertainment piece put in those products, basically. Um, and, and I think I've spoken obviously very openly. And I think that, uh, you know, about the horrible culture and uh, the branding and the harm that has been done um, you know, to, to women and girls really all over the world because of that. And they have, you know, frankly, a Herculean, Herculean task. We now have a Herculean task of actually, how do you take, uh, an institution like brand like Victoria's secret? That's so huge. That has, you know, a huge social media following and a huge presence around the world. How do you now use the power of that brand and all of the influence that it has to kind of flip the script. And you need to listen to women and you need to atone for the harm that has been done. And you need to repair the harm that has been done and recognize it and say it and talk about it and, and realize that you have to change. And, and I think to, with me specifically, I mean, I just feel like, especially because I think all of this, you know, fame or whatever, we want to call it happen so much later in my life. Like my, my sort of view of things have already been very well shaped. And I was already well into the process of, oh, this isn't made for me. This world isn't made for me. This, you know, branding machine, marketing machine, you know, media, whatever. Like I'm just going to do whatever I want because it's not going to work for me if I try to like fit into that tiny mold anyways. So I've, I was already kind of on that path. So now I feel like I just get to take that into spaces. And I'm like, listen, I'm not a, like a fortune teller, but I'm like, I'm living in the future. And I just want to tell you guys, <laughs> it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> but like, give me the keys and we'll just like, we'll take it from here. And it's like, I, I, I hesitate to say that to a lot of people because I don't want people to think like, oh, I know everything, which I clearly don't. But I'm like, I do know a path forward because I'm actually living it. Like I've been living it. I've seen how we can break the mold. I understand how you change the narrative or how you flip branding on its head or whatever it may be. So I'm like, listen, you guys, it's okay, but you're going to need to give us those set of keys and like, we're going to take it from here. You know, it does feel like the, well, so I have kids, teenagers, Julia has kids. And so we, you know, we see firsthand that these ideas about queerness or gender expression, gender ambiguity are completely different for the generation that's coming oh, up now. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of where, why you are so iconic in some way or why you've been so sought after for brands, because you've always been that way, <laughs> but now everybody wants to sell to you know, to the next generation and to youth and to be relevant and to be appealing. And yeah. in a way, kind of women's sports are positioned right now with that cachet. Yeah. Uh, women's sports, and most women's sports embrace queerness, you know, bisexuality, gay women. It's all fine. Like it's out there in the open. Nobody's hiding anything. I, I think the WNBA decided a long time ago that being authentic about who players are, whatever, you know, however they want to express themselves is is a better way of approaching fans than you know pretending that you're going to get you know a bunch of nfl fans who who don't have right. anything to do on a saturday afternoon yeah um and i just i wonder if kind of like in some ways the changing culture is is it's in a place now whether it's streaming is going to make women's games you know cheaper to produce and more accessible to young people if we're at a place now where just it is relevant and, and what is being talked about within the context of women's sports is relevant. I think it's absolutely relevant for sure. And I think, you know, part of what 2020 uh, brought us in terms of the social movement was like, Willis, and whether these companies actually believe this shit or not, like they know they have to do something. They have to be better. 
And if you do it in a really inauthentic way, like the kids are coming for you, the internet's coming for you, right? Like everyone's coming for you. You can't, you can't just slap a Black Lives Matter, you know, sticker on your window and like call it good. Where I think we really are past that. And so brands and companies and broadcasters and streaming services are needing and trying to find a way to authentically reach people. Authentic is certainly the next generation, which like literally doesn't take any bullshit from anyone. So I do think that it is in a place where it is very relevant. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, everything changes overnight. Like there's still you know, funding that needs to happen and resources that need to be allotted and structures and systems that need to be built to, in order to allow women's sports to grow at the rate that it really should be growing at. It's just that literally we've had cinder blocks, you know, tied to our feet for all of these years. And so I I think with someone like me or something like the WNBA, it's like, been ready. We've, we've been ready. That's what I mean by living in the future. Like, Oh, you guys are ready to talk about LGBTQAI plus now. Can you even say the acronym? Like (laughs) we're ready to talk about, Oh, you're ready to talk about trans lives matter. Like WNBA is ready to talk about that. You're ready to talk about black lives matter. WNBA literally saved the world and like helped the Senate seat two Senate seats actually in the election. So I think they're coming to, you know, marginalized people. And like, I feel like we just kind of like have the blueprint already. We're just like, literally what I was saying before, it's like, give us the keys. We actually know what to do. Just like, give us the money, give us the keys, give us the resources. And we can take this into the future where it needs to go. I'm always looking for a silver lining after 30 years in, you know, of playing sports and being in the sports industry. I just, I do feel like there's a window now that I, and I'm not, and I'm not an optimist, Megan. Full <laughs> <I'm not, I'm laughs> <not a> disclosure. <laughs> but I do feel like there's a bit of a window now. And I do, and it's partly because I think women are taking the lead on it. And, you know, so I, I like what's happening and I'm, and I, I do fingers crossed that I'm not, that Lucy doesn't grab the football again, you know, because I feel like that has definitely <laughs> been the, the way it goes. Well, I think too, you see it like, we'll just take the, the NFL, for example, because they're the easiest pickings. So Carl Nassib comes out, right? And then the NFL comes out with this ad yeah. that has everything in rainbow writing and said the NFL is gay. And I'm like, you know what, you guys? Are you, sh- you're not. And it's okay. We're going to, you're not there yet. You're trying to be like, remember, or like, sorry, forget all the time that we were like homophobic and completely heteronormative for a hundred years. And like Carl comes out and we're like, we're gay. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) But then people are like, what? You know, and even their black lives matter thing last year and Roger Goodell's, you know, apology, lack of apology, re-apology, the whole situation. People are like, stop fucking around. Like you need to do this better. And that's kind of where I feel like we're not just allowing these companies and these brands and these leagues and whatever to just say, oh, yeah, we're past it and just kind of like rush it under the rug. You know, well, we I covered, have- you know, I, I really did. I covered, you know, a number when I covered the NFL, I, I covered a number of players who didn't find teams after there were rumors about them being gay. Like they just never got on another team again. And, and there was yeah. a player in the 19, you know, who played in for the giants in 1984, his name was Roy Simmons. He died of aid related AIDS related complications. He didn't come out until well after his career. You know, some of his, some of his former teammates had no idea and eulogized him. You know, I think eulogized him. He was devastated, um, you know, living his life like that and feeling like he couldn't be himself. Yeah. And, I, and I just think there, you know, the, the problem with that is with the, hey, we're all gay, is that it neglects the victims who were yeah. run over the bus of heteronormativity in the NFL for decades. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of harm, like real to like true to the core harm, whether it's mental health or the homophobia or things said right to their face financial harm from a rumor being spread and now you're never on a team there's so much harm that needs to be addressed and atoned for until we can take the step forward you can't just say okay yeah we get it now and now we're going to move forward no 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 no. there's not moving forward without healing and justice period 
So I know we only have like a minute left. Um, and there, God, there's so much stuff we could have spent an hour with you, but I just wanted to ask you because, you know, I, and I talked to Jane about this all the time. Like I'm a person who, uh, really takes online harassment to heart. And really when I get criticized, I really sort of absorb it and internalize it. And I look at women who are much more fearless than I am. And I'm always trying to figure out what secret it is they know that I don't know. So how do you, because I know your teammates described you and let's fucking go as the bravado of the team and the the swagger. Where does that come from? You know, I saw something the other day that basically was like evolutionarily speaking, we're really only supposed to be in groups of 200 people. And now we're in groups of 7 billion people. And like, that's just so unnatural it's such a weird place to be with social media and media in general and so i think for me i really honestly try not to and i really don't it probably because i came to social media a little bit later in my life and it wasn't something that i always had and i i i'm not you know i think in the if you're actually a member of the media you kind of have to be in there a little bit more looking at comments but i really like don't look at the comments, you know, good or bad that often, because it is a, oof, it's a weird place. But you can also like, you can find if there's a hundred comments, like, you know, 33 of them will be negative. 33 of them will be like, you know, this person would die for you. And then 33 are like, <laughs> but of course you're going to stick on the 33 that are negative. So I think it's not that I don't care what people think. I actually care deeply like what people think, but it's only the people that are like in my circle. So it's Sue, it's my family, it's Jessica, who I work with, it's my agent, Dan, it's my teammates, it's, you know, people that are gonna, in the best of times, check me, in the worst of times, be there for me, but also check me and just give it to me straight all the time. And so I can like trust that, but like, you know, egghead04 on Twitter. I'm like, who's this? Like, I don't even know who you are. Like, it feels like, it's like, whether it's egghead on Twitter or like, I don't know, you know, the president of the United States, it like feels the same because you're reading the tweet. It's right there. Presumably you kind of feel like everyone can see it, but I'm like, that's not reality. That's, that's just like, so I, I try to hold on to that. I mean, sometimes it's really hard and people are, nasty or listen, sometimes you slip up and you say something wrong or you don't say it the way you wanted to, or you it's taken out of context and you're like, fuck, I wish I could take that back. But like, ultimately you can't take it back. And I'm always kind of like looking to the, the people around me to be like, am I, am I wild or am I just normal wild? <laughs> right. That's great no, advice. You're, you're normal hard. wild. I think if, you know, I'm not in the circle, but I do think normal wild, I would vote for that. Thank you. Thank you. But it is hard. It's really, you know, I think especially for women, the in women in the media and women in sports, it's just like, it's just such a, there's so much like hatred and vitriol. It's not just like, I don't like you. It's like, I want you to die on hot coals like Megan I just I just read a whole book about it. You're preaching to the choir. It's uh, yeah. It's bad. And, and, and you've got it. I mean, I look at like your follower count and it like makes me like twitch because I'm just like, I can't imagine <laughs> if I had that many followers, how many of them would be telling me how much they hate me on a daily basis. You know, I think a lot of my followers are like bots or something. Like, I never <laughs> feel like there's that many people that are actually following me. I'm like, there's no way. This is not possible. I have a theory that people follow me out of obligation and then mute me so they don't actually have to hear what I say. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. Well, Megan Rapino, you're the best. We can't wait to watch you guys in Tokyo. We're so excited. We could not have a better representative of the United States than the, the women's team that we send over there. Everybody give Megan a follow on uh, Twitter and tell her how much yeah. you love her at, at Pino. <laughs> and Megan, you your bots to follow her too. Yeah. yeah. Get all your bots to follow me so I can charge <laughs> more for social media posts. You, you are egghead04. <laughs> Go follow me. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Shout out to Egghead04. Megan, thanks so much. It was great. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. So glad we were able to get Megan. 
I mean, she was kind of our, she was our white whale. I mean, she was our purple whale, right? I mean, we, (laughs) you know. Yes. She was the person who, I mean, look, you know, there are a lot of people that we respect in this business, but she is somebody at the top of her game right now, professionally as an athlete, in terms of being a spokesperson. And, and I really, what I also really respect about her is the inclusivity when she speaks, when it comes to issues, it's not just about gender. It is also about race and inclusion Mm -hmm. and gender identity and queerness and all across, you know, abilities, right. On all of these different levels. And she doesn't leave people out. And I just, I respect that about her because I feel like every once in a while, would I try to speak in a shorthand about people who've been without access to power that I kind of get it wrong, or I don't always include everybody that I'm thinking about. And I just feel like she gets it right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that comes from being in a lot of different situations where you can, you, you are exposed to people who are saying things the right way and, and being very inclusive in their language you know, we're all a work in progress, Exactly. Um, but, but I think you're exactly right. And one of the things I loved about let's fucking go was that every time they brought up their issues, you know, the whole team, every time they talked about their issues of equal pay, they would also be very quick to say, this is not just about women's soccer. And it's not just about women athletes. This is about domestic workers. This is about women in yeah. media. This is about, you know, and they would go down the whole list. Um, so yeah, I, right, I because who thing. takes the, who takes the biggest hit? When it comes to equal pay, it's right. black women and Hispanic women right. who are constantly lowballed, even even in jobs that do, that do not pay well. Yeah, and, the seventy two cents really on important. the seventy two cents on the dollar is for the most privileged among us. Right, it goes down from there. Right, yeah, I completely agree. So she's great. Um, I'm really glad that we talked to her today because outside of getting to talk to Megan Rapino and the NCAA deciding college athletes can make money off themselves, <laughs> uh, it's been a pretty shitty day. I mean, yeah, I woke up to uh, the Portland Trailblazers uh, announcing that they have investigated a rape that took place 24 years ago and decided that Chauncey Billups didn't do it, which was fun. Um, we got the Trevor Bauer restraining order. Just in the details in that are terrible. Horrific. So much worse than, and, and you know, it's a lawyer's job to minimize their client's culpability in the press. But wow, did what his attorney say not prepare me for what I was about to read. Um, we have uh, Bill Cosby getting out of jail. And super fun. Pe- lots of the people coming out to have in case you didn't think that was going to go along with this. Right. Moment. And then we have the Blackhawks, uh, you know, that's been going on for a while, who today tried out Jonathan Taves to try to have him rehabilitate their image. Um, and if you don't know, the Blackhawks are being accused of covering up the sexual assault of two players by one of their assistant coaches. So, you know, it's just been and a good reminder that men are also victims of sexual assault. A hundred percent. But, you know, it's just been one of those days that you're just like, fuck. It's a lot. It is a lot. And do you know, though, Julie, one of the thoughts that I had um, when I was thinking about this today is that as awful as it is to work in sports and to cover these issues where you have days like today where things, a lot of things happen at once, I am also, and I don't know what the right adjective is here, but I, it's not, it's not glad, maybe just, I mean, it's that I am also glad, I guess, that there is a space where we do hold, we do take notice of these things because it's so ubiquitous in our culture, in every phase of life. And there are other places where it goes unnoticed and tapped. And I, and I think it, obviously people try to have that happen in sports, but for some, whatever reason, things have been coming out. And I feel like it is important that there is this public reckoning for things that happen to everyday women in everyday aspects of their life that do not have the ability to come forward or to talk about or to have it acknowledged in any way. At least there is some kind of a reckoning in sports often with some of these things. I'll tell you what I was grateful for. I'm grateful for the fact that there is a community of women working in this industry who, 
you know, Katie Strang and Britt Gorelli put the story out there. Um, and then, you know, uh, Molly Knight is tweeting out, uh, you know, sexual assault hotline numbers. And uh, and there's just like, you know, a whole group of women like Kathy Redmond is tweeting out resources. And it, so it's like everybody took a little part of it to do part of the lifting. And right. And like, the reason that they can they can put that out there is because so many women go through this. Right. You and know, it happens all the time in our society. What I hate about it is how many of us have had to come forward to put our own experiences out there into the public domain. Right. To say, like I did when the, when people were saying about Jameis Winston's accuser, well, if he raped her, why is she texting him the next day? You know why? Because it takes a long time for some of us to come to terms with the fact that what happened to us has a name and the name is rape. Um, and, ca- and, and so, you know, uh, just to just interject real quickly, Kat O'Brien also in the New York Times came out and talked about her own rape at the hands of an MLB yes. player. And that is something that's new as well. And and I and I know Kat and I know how difficult that was for her to come out and say that. Um, and thank goodness she did, though, because I honestly could put myself in her shoes at every step of that story. It is something that is so normal. And she said she just didn't want to have to deal with it. And she kind of Packed yep. it up and put it away. Absolutely. And that is the way people cope. Many people cope. Absolutely. I coped that way for a long time. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've already seen in my mentions a bunch of people saying if Bill Cosby, if there was any evidence of Bill Cosby's guilt, they wouldn't have overturned. No, that is incorrect. <laughs> It is just, and and the other thing that bothers me is don't say this was a technicality because prosecutorial misconduct is not a technicality. Like our constitutional rights are sacred. They're not technicalities. So, you know, I'm, I'm aggravated that it happened. I'm aggravated that there are statutes of limitations so that Bill Cosby got convicted of like one case when he was accused by 60 women, most of whom the statute of limitations had run on. Um, I'm just angry about a lot of things. And, you know, I like I've been pretty open with the fact that I've gone back into therapy to try to deal with the wave of this coming in media all the time, the online harassment, the constant like people saying this guy's innocent or that guy's innocent. You don't know what you're talking about. It's it's just uh, and, and, you know, today when Jonathan Taves announced that he's training again and he's going to play this year, the adoration, the absolute adoration I saw from men towards another man who is younger than you. Like, it is such a creepy, freaking weird look to talk about another man that way, that you're not like, he's not your partner. He's not your dad. It's just some dude who plays hockey. And and I was just thinking about that in the context of the reactions that we have with immediately of guys not believing that their hero, who is 10 years younger than them, could do such a thing. And it's just, we're just in the creepiest fucking industry sometimes. Yes, that is true. Um, and I think on a day like today, we've seen the very worst of it. And on another day, we can discuss what's great about it. Um, yeah, but I kind of don't feel like redeeming it today. I kind of don't feel like... I'm not feeling you it. Know, no, I mean, you know, what redeems it is talking to Megan Rapino about what she does and what she's doing and the momentum and... Uh, you know, the strength that she has, because I think kind of, we all just need a little piece of that if we're going to have to weather what we have to in the business. Yeah. And by the way, shout out to the women of Howard who are uh, handling Felicia Rashad for the rest of us <laughs> really? right now. Yes. Uh, do, do tell. Oh, she tweeted out like, you know, when it was announced that Bill Cosby was being released, she was like, yes, an innocent man has been vindicated or something like I that. And I that. she is the dean of their arts, their fine arts program. And and is there a coordinated effort to push back against? Because I, I did that's what I didn't see, but I would be very pleased to to learn more about that. I I I mean, I don't know how coordinated it is other than the kind of coordination where you see your friends weighing in on something important. So you feel like you need to do the same. Yeah. And also Nicole Hannah Jones got tenure today, so that's great. Finally, that has been something that actually has been on my mind quite a bit, just considering that I also have a little, you know, space in academia. Um, right. And and I admire so much what she did. And to, you know, to have this idea that journalism is neutral and then have, you know, the donor uh, who runs the Arkansas Democrat, uh, you know, say that he's absolutely neutral and believes journalists should be neutral. And then he's doing the backdoor agitation uh-huh. against 
her tent, her, her position there as though that that's somehow neutral. It just goes to show you this idea of objectivity only applies to people who are willing to wield their power behind the scenes and they can be outwardly neutral and it costs them nothing. Uh, and they maintain the neutral stance without actually, while actually using their power to, to, as a means to an end. It's, um, and then, and someone like Nicole Hannah Jones, then well, the only reason that you've done the 1619 project is because you're black and you care about that. And you know what? The answer to that should be like, yes. yes. Okay. And, and, and so it needed to be done. Somebody should have done it. It's a shame that people who are white didn't do that and didn't yes. teach that in schools for generations, but Correct. okay. Somebody finally got here and did it. And then of course she has to be penalized for it. Right. Yes. It, you know, I think people uh, lose track of what uh, neutrality is. It's, you know, it also comes into what kind of stories you cover and how you frame those stories and what kind of headlines you use and all different kinds of things that people don't think about. They just think about, oh, we asked both sides for comment. Um, And the fact that you haven't heard about the 1619 project in your entire life, probably until Nicole Hannah Jones brought it up is, you know, until she brought up the issue and she told the story is is another form of bias. So uh, that is a hundred percent a complete erasure of things like the Tulsa massacre. I, right. You know, we do need a reckoning in this, in this country Absolutely. with our, with our past and our traditions and, and, you know, and it, it takes reporting like that. And if you come at the reporting from a place of, I have, a, I have a personal stake in this issue and let me acknowledge that and then do my best to find the reporting to shore up what the facts are and not, not just, you know, confirm what I think. I, I, I mean, that's a, that is an okay place to start yeah. a project. And then you work from there trying very hard not to let your biases come into play, but acknowledging what your point of view is. Correct. I think that's a great summation of it. So just to circle this around so that it's not a complete downer of an episode outside of Megan Rapino, um, let's fucking go. I can't talk enough about it. It, it. The production value is great. They explain all the law. You know, I mean, it, it's just really well done. Um, so I, I can't recommend going and checking that out enough, especially as the women get ready to go to Tokyo. I just, you know, the, it does feel like, like we're in the middle of this great story that the U.S. Women's National Team has mm-hmm. put together. And I, I just, you know, it's so it, it feels like such a treat to have them play again. And I know the Olympics were put off last year, but to have them in 2019, be able to win that world cup and then compete again. So soon, it just, you know, and it's amazing in this doc to see what was going on behind the scenes and how they made the decisions, like to wear their shirts inside out and, and all those kinds of things. Like, it's really kind of fascinating to watch how it comes together. Yeah. Go ahead. They're working together as a team. Like yeah. that is what teams in the what true sense say, of the words do. Women make change collaboratively. Yeah. And this exactly. is all collaboratively. Also, a uh, shout out to the Phoenix Mercury, who got probably the biggest deal in the history of women's sports with Bally's yeah. gaming, which is going to open up a whole new frontier for women um and, and women's and, sports and revenue and sponsorship. And you've got a great story up on Deadspin about that, which everybody should go check out. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a fun story to write. It was it was nice to write something for once where I'm not like, and then this asshole did this, and here's why everybody should hate him. Like I was almost like, I don't. This is a happy story. Like I miss what to do with myself. Right. Well, you know what? That's okay. We can write happy stories too. We can. Sunshine and rainbows. Uh, Sunshine, lollipops, (laughs) and rainbows. What is that from? I don't even know. Idea. Like from the sixties. You know what? Take to Twitter, clue us in. Let, let us know where we're getting these crazy references. <laughs> All right. That is it for us <laughs> this week here in the ladies room. Hey, we've got uh, another big guest coming up for you guys in just a couple of weeks. So we hope you'll tune in. And we hope that if you like the podcast, you'll go over to Apple Pods and give us a good rating and write a nice review. That kind of stuff is really important. And it also means a lot to us. Hope that you'll give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. Read our work over at Deadspin. And we will see you next week here in the ladies room.